Welcome back to The Handoff, the podcast for nurse leaders from the team at Trusted Health. I'm Dr. Danny Bowie, our Chief Nursing Officer. Today, we're sharing the inspiring story of Lavender, a nurse-founded and nurse-operated mental health practice that emerged during the height of the pandemic in 2020. We'll explore how the founders, Dr. Pritma Dillanchata and Dr. Bridget Gannon, swiftly launched their innovative business model, which combines psychiatry and therapy in one telehealth appointment. They've grown the remote practice to serve tens of thousands of clients each month. Today, we'll hear their take on the future of nursing and the need for flexibility, the challenges and benefits of remote work, and the importance of embracing change in the healthcare industry. Welcome to The Handoff. We're excited to have a conversation today with Dr. Pritma Dillon Chatta and Dr. Bridget Gannon. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here with our fellow alumni. I know. I was really excited about this podcast. You guys have been great friends and colleagues of mine through our Yale DMP program. And I've been watching your career over the last three to four years and the innovation that both of you have taken head on in the industry and transformed. So I'd really love to share with our listeners today a bit more about what you've been doing with Lavender and the model of work that you've been deploying for the nurses at Lavender and beyond. We're ready. Perfect. Yeah. If you want to share a bit more, Bridget, about the model at Lavender and what that is for our listeners who may not know. Sure. I feel like Prima always does a story really well, but I'll, I'll try my best. So Prima and I started, founded Lavender in the height of the pandemic in May, 2020. And we basically kept hearing from people that they really needed mental health resources. And there was not a mental health practice that was really accessible and took health insurance and was responsive and kind in every interaction with clients. So we launched in 45 days and we, our team is nurse founded and nurse operated. We provide care through our psychiatric nurse practitioners that all work remotely. Um, it's all telepsychiatry and we provide psychotherapy and medication management in the same appointment, which is quite unusual for mental health. Typically you would see a therapist and see a prescriber separately. So it's really helped to reduce siloed care. It's also much more cost-effective for, for clients and more efficient for them, right? Because they're not having to see two different uh, providers. First of all, one, how did you launch in 45 days? I mean, that that is amazing. And just the acceleration of innovation to actually impl implementation. I would love to learn a little bit more about that. And then also... How did you come up with the model of care around, you know, ensuring that there was delivery of both elements that are needed versus having to, you know, split up and silo the care for mental health? It started very small. It started with just Bridget and I. And that was actually, it started in very dire straits. Bridget and I were very scared in March of 2020. Bridget's business closed down. My business closed down. And I was actually standing in my clinic in an empty shop that was shut down sweeping the floor and called Bridget and said, you know, we need to do something online. That's our next step. Um, we weren't business partners at the time, but we are always in conversation about what are we doing next? How can we support nurses? We had this idea about the next business we do. Maybe we want to do a franchise model and do a business in a box because nurses are always asking us, how do we become entrepreneurs? How do we move forward with our ideas? And we thought, you know, if we could help them 
do that. Um, so we were in those conversations, but in that moment, we're like, we need to do something online and it should be psychiatry and therapy because there's going to be a huge need for that. And literally after that phone call was done, we said, okay, let's get to work. And we didn't know when we would launch. We didn't know what we were doing. I started looking at EMRs and policies and things like that. And Bridget started looking at clinical procedures. And we talked to her staff from her other business to see if they could be redeployed if we launched this business. And we basically built the plane as we flew it. It was one step at a time one foot after the other. We didn't even look at costs. You know, we we each put in $6,000. And that was the sum, total sum of our investment in Lavender. No VC, no money, no loans, nothing. Um, have never put a penny more in. And it's been amazing. It's been incredible. But guess what? Had we not started and just closed our eyes and gone for it, we wouldn't be here today. So it's been very difficult. I can't say it's been easy. But I think it just takes us that push to start. So yeah, that's kind of how we did it in 45 days. And we closed the first month with one appointment. So, (laughs) you know, it starts very small and it continues to grow. But we've relied on a lot of peers and mentors along the way. We research everything online. Everything's available online. We have a great group of friends and a great network, including you, Danny, that we can rely on for advice and consultation. So rely on your peers. They're so smart. They're often smarter than you. I'm impressed with the story of, I've often heard like need is the mother of invention. And mm. so it, it it allows you to look and see like, what's the need and where do we need to go? And so t- hearing your journey of faith, even of just going in, you had a need and a need that was broader than just even your immediate professional need, but for a community and for a service within healthcare, that was a true need as well is, is quite inspiring. Now, the second question was around the model and how you decided to come up with the model model of care that you deliver, which Bridget had mentioned was was a combining of two elements that typically are two different appointments. And so, you know, what caused you to design that way? And and is there any limitation in that type of design? Because I like to understand, you know, models of care. And also, was there any type of flexibility or thought behind how you were designing some of those models? when we were kind of doing an environmental scan of how people access mental health services, it's difficult enough to find any provider. So to find two is even more impossible. It's within a psych NP scope to provide psychotherapy, but they just aren't utilized like that. They're utilized as med management machines because those are what those are the highest billing codes. So, you know, companies make more money when they utilize nurse practitioners in a strictly med management model so we thought, why don't we think of this differently? Why don't we use a psych NP to their full scope and allow them to provide therapy in the same appointment? There's no reason that they shouldn't. Um, and it's been really interesting. Nurse practitioners that we interview with don't have other opportunities like this. I know very few practices except for private practice where you can they can flex their psychotherapy muscles, as we like to say. You know, for some psych NPs, it's very uncomfortable and it's not really something that they want to do. But we at Lavender, you know, our nurse practitioners really want to spend a lot of face-to-face time with clients. They don't want to just meet with them 15 minutes once a month. I think what's also interesting and and what contributed to our model was that Bridget is a psychiatric nurse practitioner, whereas I am not. I'm My background is in uh, health informatics and entrepreneurship. And so 
bringing us together. And, and as we were founding the company and developing all these processes, it was really interesting because I'd ask hard questions about the clinical process and she'd ask hard questions about the operational process and things that were typically just standard and customary. And we don't know why, but it requires someone else outside of that expertise to ask, well, why is it the way it is? So another thing that's different or unique about our model is that our Appointments are 20, 40, and 60 minutes in length, and the client can choose what length they want and month over month, because we ask the question as to why are therapy or psychiatry appointments, why are they always a standard 45 minutes or 60 minutes every month or every two weeks? Why can't they be different? And we couldn't really find the answer. So we said, let's just try it. And it's been really successful. I, I was going to mention that when when we started talking that you guys are like match made in heaven with your backgrounds, right? Tech and entrepreneurship, and then Bridget with your clinical expertise and the, the way that you also manage your own businesses. Um, so I loved seeing you guys come together. I love also hearing that you're providing flexibility to the patients and what they choose, right? They get to drive the way that they interact with you, which is a really powerful concept. And then also giving your clinicians top of licensure experience, which is amazing. And that is another form of that flexibility and autonomy that often I hear, you know, people talking about primarily on the inpatient side, as we think about leaders, often we know that our nurses and our nurse leaders are not operating to the top of licensure just due to the models of care and sometimes the documentation burden. To add to that, you know, one of, I think the reasons our psych MPs really like the work is that there's flexibility in their day. You know, they'll see a patient for an hour and that's a very different feeling than seeing a patient for 20 minutes at the next appointment. So their brain is challenged differently throughout the day, which I think is one of the reasons nurses become nurse leaders, right? They don't, they want to be able to have focused, quiet project work, and they want to be able to manage and be in meetings and you have differences throughout the day. And I think for clinicians, one of the reasons they burn out is that they're doing the same thing over and over again, and it can be very taxing. So they have a lot of flexibility in terms of the types of patients they treat and the the types of care that they provide. And I think it's really helped. I think it's really helped them not burn out as quickly with care, with patient care. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good call out and burnout has been a topic of mine for many health systems and something that we've been trending here at Trusted. We we looked at the mental health of our nurses to understand, you know, how are they faring in conditions post-pandemic and discovering they're not recovering the way that they were even pre-pandemic, which was not at a good state. And some of the the concepts or the things that they're looking for is flexibility and autonomy, um, which I think is a good point is the diversity of experience creates that as well. Now, we know your your nurses all work from home. What have you heard from them about some of the advantages or maybe disadvantages of this? Uh, and what are some of the misconceptions? This is a really hot trending topic about working from home and we'd love your guys' perspective on leading teams in that space. I've been working from home actually since 2014. So almost a decade now. And it has a lot of misconceptions. And I remember even back in the day before COVID, people used to say, oh, you work from home. That must be so nice. You must be getting your laundry done and getting your meals cooked and, you know, everything else in between. And I thought, gosh, they have no idea. (laughs) Um, Working from home is 
you often end up being more productive and busier. And I find that you're in back-to-back meetings that you don't have a moment to step away from your desk. So there's a lot of misconceptions around what the workday looks like, particularly if you're in an environment that's driven by appointments or meetings. A lot of that time is not your own time. It's meeting time, appointment time for her and peace. There's a big misconception around that. Sometimes it's taken a little bit too casually. So to be successful to work from home, you really do need to make it a workspace. And that's not something that's just extra or fluffy. It's it's a necessity. So just like in the in the office, you have a sit-stand station, you have a desk that's ergonomic and it's proper, you have multiple screens, you have a wireless keyboard, you have your laptop up on a stand, you have a headphone. You need all of that in order to stay healthy at work and stay focused um, and be more productive. And so that's, you know, we we teach a lot of these concepts in our onboarding program uh, to ensure that people are set up for success in their workstation and they're not working from, you know, a temporary spot. It needs to be a fixated spot in their home and it needs to be separated from their personal life because it could get draining. You don't want to be working in your bedroom where you're also sleeping because then you won't be able to sleep. You're going to be thinking about work. There needs to be that separation between work and home. And if someone is to work from home on a full-time basis, surely they need to do that. And they need to do that very quickly within the first four weeks. Otherwise, it can be very difficult to navigate um, a balance in, in your life. So I think that's the biggest misconception that I find. Uh, I appreciate that, especially you being a veteran. Uh, pandemic is really what accelerated me into the work from home. And you have to adapt your mindset. And I agree, setting up that separate space to really focus is key. Um, An ability to like stand or sit or move is also important. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, it can be like a little isolating. I think people don't anticipate how isolating working from home can be specifically for nurse practitioners. They can't go like knock on their colleague's door, right. Mm -hmm. And just say, Hey, like, what do you think about this case? Or have you ever had this side effect with the medication? All that kind of like informal mentorship, you know, we probably, all three of us probably had people that we worked with as nurses that were not our bosses or really formally our mentors, but really mentored us, right? Because we were Mm -hmm. with them in person. So at Lavender, we really, especially for the new graduates, we have to be really intentional about setting up mentorship time because they don't get, there's nobody for them to ask while they're working. So I think people don't anticipate the isolation. I think also the relationship building is harder with your team when you don't um, see each other in person. So um, I know even for Prima, we're really intentional about making sure that we see each other in person throughout the year because there's just something mm-hmm. that magical happens when you when you spend time together in person. In terms of the positives, I feel like we're getting really negative about the work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like the positives are that you can wear your pajama pants and you can, you know, you, you just have to get dressed from like the waist up. Um, I feel very efficient. Like I can, like Prima said, get so much done. You know, I can like squeeze a workout online in between meetings, which you would normally never be able to do. If you were working in an office, you save time in your life, not having to commute, which is really Mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, I think for like our moms and dads on the team, you know, they get to squeeze in little hugs and kisses Yes. Um, which is really special, you know, to do that throughout the day. So especially even for new moms, we have a lot of new moms on the team. Um, and that transition back to work is really hard. And so it's actually a lot easier 
in a remote environment where, and, and even on an ongoing basis, like the comfort I feel knowing I'm just downstairs mm-hmm. and my kids are upstairs with the nanny that, you know, it's, it's comfort. I know that if there was anything going on, I'm here. So, and, and particularly for newborns, I think that's really great. You guys have done a really thoughtful job and how to onboard and the support needed to address both the pros and cons of work from home. I would say I am an advocate for, uh, you know, the sweatpants that you get to wear. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Seinfeld episode. Like I gave up on life. I'm in sweatpants, but I'm not because the top is professional. Um, (laughs) So, you know, but like, I I really uh, admire the mindfulness and the approach that you've taken to create an environment that helps breed success in a new environment for our clinicians and um, the the profession of nursing in general. Um, Now, what are some of the challenges that nurses face as they're moving from maybe a salary model to being a 1099 employee? Uh, And what advice do you usually give them as they're getting that set up, which I and you may want to add a bit more about the lavender model, if that's the model that you're um, working under at Lavender, if you can. Yeah, for sure. So all of our uh, clinicians, all of our nurse practitioners are 1099 contractors, and that's the typical model um, within the medical community, within physicians. And it's relatively new, however, to nurse practitioners. So there is definitely a learning curve. And we've tried a, a variety of strategies. We've had one pagers. We've, you know, now we're actually talking about other things that we can do on onboarding, whether it's supporting them set up a corporation or, you know, getting some guidance from an accountant or, you know, a partner. It's an ongoing thing that we're continuing to address to help our nurse practitioners be successful because in the 1099 model, you can be very successful and there's very there's a significant amount of advantages of being a 1099 contractor versus an employee. And what we're finding is that our staff aren't taking advantage of a lot of those opportunities. And so we are constantly trying to figure out how we can help them take better advantage from day one and not, you know, three months in or six months in or a year in. Bridget, do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, I would say like the major opportunities are financial. Like you can save, legally save a lot of money on taxes. And as Prima said, one of what we realized a few weeks ago is our nurse practitioners are not benefiting as much as they they should. They're actually, tonight at 5.30, we hooked them up with an accountant who specializes in 1099. So they're they're doing an in-service on that. I've been a 1099 since 2013. I was the only person at the shelter who was employed as a 1099. And I negotiated that because I didn't need health benefits. I was healthy and I, you know, I, I understood the tax code and I wanted to get as many um, deductions as possible. I mean, th- those are like the main benefits I think is taxes. I'm trying to think of other benefits as a 1099. Yeah, absolutely. I, what I'm hearing is you're, you're setting up your employees to truly be as well entrepreneurs business owners like they're managing their destiny in a way that historically and traditionally the nursing profession has not been taught and Mm -hmm. so i think that that's wonderful and there is a lot of tax advantages to the 1099 model and being able to kind of set the course of your destiny and and you know, being able to, instead of be a cost, like we talk about inpatient nursing, when the workforce is a cost associated with the room, you're actually a service. And that's a amazing transformation. So it sounds like you're replicating this mindset that you both had as uh, strong entrepreneurs and business leaders into your workforce at Lavender, which is tremendous. And one of the reasons we wanted to go with the 1099 model was because when we were 
thinking about lavender and what we wanted to do for not just clients, but for nurses is we wanted to give nurses flexibility and autonomy on their schedule. So we don't dictate our staff schedule at all. They build it according to how many hours they want to work per week and what that shift actually looks like. So they start, some of them work Monday, some of them work Thursday, some of them work, you know, they start at seven, some start at two, like there's no set start or end time. There's no, we're open seven days a week. So nurses can, our NPs can, can make their schedule as it's suitable for them. At first it was completely kind of limitless. Um, but as we grew, the one restriction we did pose because it became very difficult to manage headcount was a minimum number of hours per week. So we have implemented 20 hours minimum per week um, that they need to commit to Lavender if they want to join. But beyond that, it's quite flexible. And that's worked really, really well. That's a common theme that I've seen as well with the flexibility is uh, starting limitless and then recognizing what is the the ability to run ops and ensure that you have the right coverage for the needs. Um, and so then putting in some you know expectation around work requirements, such as, for instance, in the inpatient, which that's really where my mindset goes is like, you will have you work one shift every 30 days is our expectation. And that's just the, and you can work more beyond that, but expect just maintain competency and, and uh, things like that. We also found with engagement, you know, and culture, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to feel like you're a part of a company or an organization when you're only working like one day every three months, right? So from an engagement and cultural perspective, we felt that 20 hours a week was sort of the soft, the sweet spot. Um, because we, you know, we're a community of nurses. We have a really active Slack community. We want people engaged. We want people supporting each other. That was another reason we had a minimum hours. That makes sense. And uh, would continue to love to talk to you guys a year from now and hear the transformation of Lavender and the growth and and the new things that you're doing. Um, so do you guys have any predictions about what nursing will look like in the future? And this can be, you know, at the bedside, remote work. Obviously, you guys have created a new future, I think, in the space of, of nursing and the model that you're providing for mental health. But I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I'm excited for the future of nursing. I think nurses are finally getting their voice and they're speaking up and they're becoming innovators and they know that they're innovators. We always were. It's just we thought that we were we had to be told that we're innovators. And so now nurses are naturally taking that position. And I think roles are going to dramatically change. And it's due time that it changes. Right? Nursing And the way we work and our models have not changed for a century, and it's ripe time that they do. And and we need to change it at a lightning pace at this point. Staffing models are going to be very different, hopefully in the next five years, if not 10 years. And hybrid is going to be very common. I think many nursing positions will be remote and many will be hybrid. And, you know, even in terms of scheduling, I think we're going to turn it on its head and we're going to do a lot more self-scheduling and a lot more flexibility, or at least that's what we should do. And we need to adopt it. We need to just take the risk, take the plunge and do it. Um, And I don't know how many more signs we need from nurses that it needs to be done. But yeah, that's what I think the future will hold. I think it, it will be more flexible and more open and empathetic to the nurse. I think it has to be. I mean, I, you know, like I, nurses are in so de- in such high demand and they're demanding flexibility and more people want to work from home. And 
the industry has to respond to that or they won't get people to work for them. So like, it has to be a more flexible hybrid model um, of nurses working from home. Yeah, I agree, Prima. I think we also have to think about the way we work and the benefits for nurses and clinicians in general and, and iterate as quickly as we do for clients. Clients demand access. They demand transparency. They demand empathy and flexibility. And that's what clinicians demand. And so just like we're constantly thinking about how do we improve care for our, for our clients, we call our patients clients because they're high functioning members of the community and we don't want to label them with the term patient at Lavender. And so I'm used to saying client, but um, you know we want to innovate for clients every single day and improve their care. And as hospitals and healthcare systems and clinics and offices, we should be doing the same for our clinicians, our, our colleagues. And so, you know, this year we're particularly looking at how do we, you know, for those that aren't on the front lines, like myself and Bridget and a lot of people on our ops team, um, our clients are our colleagues and that's our nurse practitioners, it's other departments, and we need to treat them like our patients. And if they're happy and healthy, our patients will be happy and healthy. We've all heard that before, right? But we actually need to deliver on that. Yeah, I think that's a really great perspective of essentially like who's your customer in a, in a way mm-hmm. and shifting the mindset of nurses and your clinicians who are the customer. Um, I've led a lot of staffing offices and hospitals, and that was always how I would train my team is that the nurse managers and the nurses are your customers, and we're here to give them a great experience around staffing. Now, was it as flexible as we wanted? No. And we were really pushing the limit on what technology can do. And and I'm hopeful too that we will move into the space of true flexibility and tech enabled staffing and scheduling in a new way that's driven autonomously by the user versus dictated by, you know, a very traditional models of like seven to seven shifts, or this is when you have to administer and do all of your tasks that then dictate how we schedule you. And so I'm hopeful that we will innovate and change. I recently heard a a quote um, from a leader that said, you know, there was a war on talent and talent has won. So the talent, meaning your clinicians, your nurses, Mm. they've won. And we need to respond to that as leaders in healthcare uh, and listen and then invest the right way with people, process and technology to uh, accelerate the innovation. We've talked a lot about flexibility. I just want to touch a little bit more on like, what does flexibility mean to you as a nurse leader? We've talked about your team at Lavender, how you've been leading from this this space. It's very holistic. Uh, and if there's any other pieces of wisdom that you want to share with your readers, uh, the listeners around what flexibility means to you as a nurse leader that we haven't touched on, uh, please, please do. And I live sort of by coastal life. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, it was... <laughs> Being able to live in Los Angeles and New York, it's really important. And how could I have done that, right? Not working remotely. You know, I also think, not that I do this a lot, but it's nice to sometimes take a meeting while I'm walking my dog outside. That's really special and remarkable. I think being able to, you know, even though I don't actually do this and I've never, just knowing that the option to like, if I wanted to move to Italy for a month and work from Italy is there, just psychologically, I think knowing that you have that freedom is very uh, comforting to me, even though I've never actually done it. You may not have done it, but we do have a nurse. We have yes. an NP who yes. lives in Spain. We have another yes. NP who lives in Bangalore. Yes. Um, so we do have NPs around the world, and and that's very special. 
Very cool. Um, yeah. I personally, flexibility for me is, um, you know, I'm a mom and I like the flexibility of being able to pick up my kids and drop off my kids and take them to lessons and things like that in the middle of my day as I need to and and book that in. And, and our, our operation staff have the same flexibility as do our MPs where they can block their schedule and, and do what they need to do because it's not, you know, punch in, punch out. It's, you know, the productivity and the quality of your work, not the hours that you commit to it. So uh, that's really important for me. Uh, as a leader. And what's the other thing that's even more important for me is that we take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. So we have a very casual culture where sometimes we swear, sometimes, <laughs> you know, um, we're not so polished and proper all the time. But, you know, when you actually look at when you when you open the doors, look at our policies and our processes, we are years ahead of the game um, for what a startup would be two years along along because we do have that rigor and we started with that rigor Bridget and I always wanted proper policies and procedures and compliance programs and everything in place because when we do something we want to do it right but that doesn't mean that we have to be stuffy on the phone or on, on our video calls and you know we we want to be able to make mistakes and learn from them and we want to be able to admit to them because we're all human and that's what I really love about working with Bridget and <laughs> working with our team. And that, it makes me think, Prima, like that's such a great point in the sense, I don't think that kind of intimacy happens when you work in the office always. Cause like we're seeing each other in each other's homes. Right. You mm -hmm. know, and sometimes like somebody's kid will be on their lap or like we have one NP, Melissa has all the, all these cat beds behind her and her cats are constantly like behind <laughs> her. And I feel like there is this, even though you're not in person and you don't get that kind of connection, I think because you're seeing your colleagues in their home, you kind of have like a more intimate relationship with them, which is really nice. And I think people feel very comfortable to be themselves more than they would in an office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a really good point that I didn't think about, which is the intimacy of seeing someone in their space that they call their home, even if it is a transform work from home office, it still has elements of animals that come in that you didn't want them to come in or, you know, spouses, kids, et cetera. And really what I'm hearing too is authenticity, Pritma, as you describe, you know, open to conversation and we, you know, you have polished and proper procedures and you're, you're doing it the right way uh, clinically and how you lead your teams, but the human element of being able to share yourself and your learnings along the way with the authentic uh, communication is, is really inspiring. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, taking that home environment and we've actually heard that from our NPs as well, because we get that question asked a lot is how do NPs find it meeting with their, with their clients online and how is it more or less difficult to develop rapport um, and a therapeutic relationship. And every time we hear that it's actually quicker in developing a therapeutic relationship and rapport because I get to see them in their home environment. Um, I get to see their surroundings and they're in a comfortable space that they can open up and more easily speak is what we hear across the board. So that's been really interesting. We're getting close to the end. I just want to ask a couple more questions. What would you recommend for health systems 
to stay up on trends regarding flexibility or innovation? Any advice for our leaders who maybe are in the space that you're in, but are leading our health systems and looking to continue to innovate and just making sure that they can stay ahead of the curve or reach up to the curve? I think healthcare systems need to have a startup mindset. I think every year, every quarter is different for healthcare systems, just as it is for startups. They're growing equally as fast and um, living in the same world that's that's changing faster than we've ever experienced it before. So if they don't keep up, they're going to be left behind. And that's no less likely for a large healthcare system than it is for a startup. Uh, so really having that nimble startup mindset. And again, I've, I've said this before, not just for the client, but for your most valued asset, your own people. They are just as equal as the patient and the client. So I think that's sometimes often the piece that's missing is, you know, having that nimble mindset and, and trimming away some of the fatty processes that develop over time. I think also, I Prima alluded to this in the beginning, I think bringing people onto your team that don't work in healthcare so they can challenge you to think differently about why we do things the way we do them. I think in healthcare, we tend to just do them, like Prima said in the very beginning of this conversation, because we've always done them that way. And I think it's really helpful to bring in other people from other industries to make you think differently. And I think looking to other industries because, you know, healthcare is, tends to be a little bit behind, you know, like other industries have been doing remote work for 15 years and we're sort of catching up now. It's funny, Dr. Dan Weiberg just posted about this the other day about how healthcare often looks to the airline industry. And we did for many, many years from a safety perspective, but do we still continue looking to them? You know, many would say not, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not to bash the the airline industry, but, you know, um, Bridget and I often look to the hotel industry. We want to provide the level of care that you would get at a five-star hotel, but at an affordable price. So that concierge level of service and care that is unheard of in mental health. And wouldn't that be amazing when you're at your lowest, someone helps and supports you and gets you the care that you need and talks to you like, like, an empathetic human who understands what you're going through and gets you to where you need, gets you booked and and is accessible, right? And so we always, you know, in all all of our meetings internally or or otherwise, you know, we t- talk about what is the standard and and sometimes we we're just talking about this today, you know, the standard wait time if someone's late for an appointment typically is 10 minutes and we're like, but we're not the standard. We need to go above and beyond that. We need to wait for 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it might be. Um, so we're always looking to do better than what the standard is because the standard is the minimum standard. Yes. Hospitality is a great industry to look at, the hotel industry. And and, and actually, I believe the age caps. I from what I recall, the HCAP survey was based more off of a hospitality survey like the hotel industry. Um, and that is the premise is patient experience and how to ensure that your patients are getting the right experience when they're on the inpatient setting. We we actually were the patients, the client survey that we're doing is based, is a modified HCAP survey. Um, and the reason we chose that is because we wanted it to be really based on the client journey and experience. Um, because you don't have to, you don't have to compete for patients and mental health or such a human need, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't compete. Like what would care look like in mental health and psychiatry if you had to compete for patients? Yeah. It would look very different, I think. I agree. Well, it would look like lavender. 
no self-promotion I know <laughs> but maybe you can keep that in there I don't I don't know Jenny. you, you should <laughs> Uh, that should be in there. It would look like lavender. It, it, yeah. It's the truth. You're coming in. That's the beauty of, of the country that we're living in and the way that we can start to provide care um, to patients and innovate and compete get, you know, for the best. But I want to end with, what would you like to hand off to our listeners? We really like to leave to our listeners like that one piece of wisdom or final nugget of truth that you want them to walk away with uh, in any aspect, you know, healthcare, personal. And so I would just love to hear from both of you what you'd like to hand off to our listeners today. I think the one thing I would repeat, and I'm sort of conflicting myself, is I do think that nurse leaders should make sure to intentionally make time to bring their teams uh, together in person at least once a year. I think it makes a huge, huge difference in terms of working effectively as a team and, and building community and building a cohesive team. I think it's, you know, in some ways the remote work is intimate because like you're talking about, you, you see someone in their home and it's very informal, but there is something really magical that happens when you spend time with somebody in person. And this is literally from Prima and I knowing this, and we make a lot of in, intentional opportunities to bring our team in person. Like the relationships with the nurse practitioners that we've met in person are very different than the relationships I have with the nurse practitioners that I haven't had an opportunity yet to meet in person. Yeah. And I think what's really important about that in-person meeting, and particularly for us, because we're all remote, but even in the future hybrid world, the future is hybrid, but even in a hybrid future, there's going to be missed opportunities of interaction between teams, across teams, among peers. Um, and there needs to be opportunities for teams to collaborate and interact across departments. So what I find is beautiful is when our nurse practitioners get to connect with our concierge team our front desk kind of reception staff. Um, it's so important for them to build those relationships and not be siloed because oftentimes in healthcare settings, you kind of end up working against each other. Like you're on two separate teams working across purposes when really your purpose is the same. Um, but what's missing is the understanding of rationale behind standard operating procedures and the way things are done. And so I think that's really important is building those operations together and really letting nurses, allowing nurses the time and the space and the opportunity to understand why things are the way they are. So you might not be making the, the decision that is going to land best with nurses, but nurses are really great at understanding if they're given an opportunity to learn the information as to what went into that decision making. So um, I find that that's often missing. Uh, and so the more opportunities that are given to not only nurses, but all staff to really understand what went on behind the decision is really important and uh, will will create greater engagement. Thank you so much, Pritma and Bridget, for your time here on The Handoff. It was so valuable and insightful. Um, and I really look forward to watching Lavender grow and continue to win in the industry in this new space. More to come, I'm sure, in the future. And uh, I look forward to hopefully another interview, maybe a year from now, to hear some more transformation of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. See someone in their home and it's very informal. 
but there is something really magical that happens when you spend time with somebody in person. And this is literally from Prima and I knowing this, and we make a lot of intentional opportunities to bring our team in person. Like the relationships with the nurse practitioners that we've met in person are very different than the relationships I have with the nurse practitioners that I haven't had an opportunity yet to meet in person. Yeah. And I think what's really important about that in-person meeting, and particularly for us, because we're all remote, but even in the future hybrid world, the future is hybrid. But even in a hybrid future, there's going to be missed opportunities of interaction between teams, across teams, among peers. Um, And there needs to be opportunities for teams to collaborate and interact across departments. So what I find is beautiful is when our nurse practitioners get to connect with our concierge team, our front desk kind of reception staff. Um, It's so important for them to build those relationships and not be siloed because oftentimes in healthcare settings, you kind of end up working against each other, like you're on two separate teams working across purposes when really your purpose is the same. Um, But what's missing is the understanding of rationale behind standard operating procedures and the way things are done. And so I think that's really important is building those operations together and really letting nurses, allowing nurses the time and the space and the opportunity to understand why things are the way they are. So you might not be making the the decision that is going to land best with nurses, but nurses are really great at understanding if they're given an opportunity to learn the information as to what went into that decision making. So um, I find that that's often missing. Uh, And so the more opportunities that are given to not only nurses, but all staff to really understand what went on behind the decision is really important and uh, will will create greater engagement. Thank you so much, Pritma and Bridget, for your time here on The Handoff. It was so valuable and insightful. Um, and I really look forward to watching Lavender grow and continue to win in the industry in this new space. More to come, I'm sure, in the future. And uh, I look forward to hopefully another interview, maybe a year from now, to hear some more transformation of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Danny.